Hello everyone, welcome back to the One Talk podcast that you have your host Ryan McCarthy. And today we are joined by Elliot Hagen. Elliot is the founder of Mind Your Head podcast and watching Elliot's journey, we're starting this podcast, watching the guests that he gets on, also hearing about his story is what inspired me to get him on the podcast today. And the things that we talk about is Elliot, his journey, um, how we started the podcast, the passion, the mission behind it, and why he wants to bring this value to the world, which is super important. It's all about breaking the stigma on mental health and opening up and sh- people sharing their life experiences so that way they can add value into the listeners' lives. And I think it's a very epic podcast and I think everyone should check it out. But also, another thing that Elliot did before this podcast was actually the day before recording, he, out of the blue, decided to do a 70 kilometer run. And before this 70 kilometer run, he said he's never even ran 5Ks before. But then with no training, out of the blue, he decides to run 70 kilometers. So that made an epic conversation as well. And we broke it down, the mindset changes that happened within that, the challenges that came with that, and how we used his own mindset to overcome any of the doubt or any of the thoughts that were coming up so he can keep going and keep pushing. This is a very inspiring podcast and we had a really good conversation, so I think you all will enjoy. In other news, if you could please share this podcast around, it helps just with the growth of this podcast and getting the message out there. If you could share it on your stories, if you could share it with a friend or a family member, it would mean so much. And if you could also please leave the show a rating, that would mean a lot as well. But without further ado, let's welcome Elliot. Welcome, Elliot. How are you, brother? Yeah, good, mate. Very good. Very excited to be here. A little bit, uh, a little bit sore. A little bit sore after yesterday. After yesterday, we'll get into that. But yeah, really excited to um, be here with you today. Yeah. Yeah, good to have you here, brother. I've been seeing the work you've been doing online um, with your own podcast and the conversations you've been having and the value that you've been bringing. It made me really interested in why you started this journey, what brought you to where you are now, why you seek the challenges that you do, like as in last night and things like that. So. I'd love for myself and the audience to understand more who Elliot is, what's his mission, and what got you into this journey of what the work that you're doing. Yeah, it's a really good question. It's a, um, it's a bit of a long answer too. Yeah, go um, <laughs> What got me into the podcast originally was I work away out in the mines mm. and I'm alone driving my machinery for 12 hours a day by myself and I started listening to podcasts and there was this guest on a podcast. I don't want to say his name <coughs> because I'm trying to get him on my podcast for a guest. Um, but he's an ex-NRL player and he talked about his um, battles with anxiety, depression and how that led to drug abuse, um, him being an alcoholic and talked about his recovery. And for the first time ever, I heard someone put into words exactly what I went through and exactly how I felt. And I remember sitting in my truck thinking, <laughs> I'm not alone. Like there's yeah. someone else that have been through it. And I, before then I couldn't put into words how, how I was feeling or, or what I went through. And, and for the first time ever, someone did it. Someone put into words and I was thinking, Oh, that's so strange how his experience was almost exactly the same as mine. Mm. And it made me wonder, like, how many more people are out there that this could affect? And I thought, like, I don't want to be in the mines all my life. Um, and I had a passion with rugby. 
and I can't play f- rugby forever. My body's my body's a bit sore now. Yeah. Um, what am I passionate about? And one of the things I thought about was I love chatting to people, mm. um, and. I've got my own sort of history and um, experiences with mental health and I've got some mates who have been through some pretty heavy stuff and I've got some family members who have been through some really heavy stuff and I was thinking, well, why don't I start a podcast, get them to come in, we talk about our experiences, we get vulnerable with each other and hopefully that will help just one person just like that podcast did with me. Yeah. Um, and that was the goal. That was the goal just to help one person and to make – one person feel like they're not alone and um, make them feel not so isolated. Mm. And if it helps them reach out, ask for help, seek recovery, if it's anything along those lines, I thought it would be great. And also, and also the guests that have come in, they haven't spoken about these things either. So mm. if all else fails, it's a, time, it's, a, it's a time for me and my friends to have a proper deep conversation on camera yeah um and it was a bit of a healing thing not just for me but for the guests that have come in most of the guests haven't spoken about their issues publicly before Mm. Um, especially my dad came on and me and my dad had a pretty pretty heavy healing um moment together um so that was the reason pretty much for the whole podcast itself that's epic, brother. Yeah. Like I see it with you know the episodes that you post. Yeah. And the cool thing about podcasting that I find is that episodes live on forever. Like they're not going every, anywhere. That's, so like people can always yeah. go and find them. That's what I love about that is that that is forever. So my kids will be able to look at that. Um, other mates' kids can have a look at that. Like we've got that forever. And that episode with my dad, I think it's one of the most pivotal conversations that I've ever had um why is that um because my dad went through some pretty bad um abuse as a kid um his dad was came back from the war and was a really bad alcoholic abusive alcoholic that flogged the shit out of my dad and his siblings and to the point where one of dad's siblings his older brother committed suicide and it was a really traumatic period in dad's life and dad was telling me that he would, his dad would prey on the person that he would get away with the most. So if you showed any emotion, that would be weakness. So dad as a kid thought the best way to survive is to show no, no emotion. So as he grew up, showing emotion would be weakness. So as a kid growing up, my dad was extremely loving and he was always present and he was never um he was so nice and and gentle but there was an emotional disconnection with us yeah so he would be there for us but if you if you maybe dad i'm i'm going through something Mm. oh you'd be right yeah you know and i I think it might be a little bit of that generation too Mm. but i just didn't feel um not probably safe's not the right word, but I just didn't feel like comfortable that I could go to him and say, "What what am I worrying about?" Or if I'm having some negative thoughts, he would just say, "Just carry on with life. You'll be right. Just get over it." Yeah. Where do you feel like you went to go instead to find those answers? Um, I didn't. Just suppressed it. Yeah. 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 I didn't. I. I. I um. 
yeah, I, I didn't know where to go to. So I, <clears throat> all of my negative thoughts, I would suppress them. And I just thought I could just forget about them. Mm. If I bury them deep enough, um, I would forget about them. And as we all know, uh, you could procrastinate as long as you want around your mental health, but it's always going to come back and find you. So, mm. um, yeah, and the conversation I had with my dad was, was more so around um, being honest with each other. Mm. He never told me about his childhood. Yeah. But I always wondered growing up, go, why, why is dad... Why is that a bit like this? Yeah. You know, why is there a, a bit of a disconnect with me and my dad? And I never told him about some of my dark times. Mm-hmm. So we both, we're, even though we were both had, you know, a civil relationship, it wasn't as deep as what it could have been, mm-hmm. what it could be. Um, and then we had a, I asked him to come on the podcast and I said, can we have a chat on camera? about your childhood and he goes only if you talk to me about your dark days yeah and i was like done we can do that Mm. so yeah for the very first time he opened up about all his child abuse stuff and um what happened to him as a kid and it, it, it just my whole thing was the more we know about each other the more we can understand each other and the better our relationship can be but when we don't know all the information about each other it's really hard to build that connection yeah and and then for the very first time i told him about some of my really dark days with anxiety and depression and um getting into drug abuse and not wanting to be alive Mm. and that was really tough to talk about with dad um but after the conversation we had it was one of the best healing moments that we've ever had and our relationship's completely different now. Even yeah. when we talk to each other on the phone, he lives away in, in WA, mm. and even when we talk to each other on the phone, he, the, I, can't put in, I can't describe it, but what we talk about now is so much more deeper than what we used to, and I think he's, he, mum was saying to me that he refused to go see a, um, a psychologist yep. about his childhood traumas, mm. refused to do it. And um, mum tried to get him to go for 65 years to go see someone. Mm. And they flew back after the podcast, they flew back to WA and mum called me up a couple of days later and she said, I don't know what you guys talked about, but for the first time ever, dad's went and saw a psychologist. Yeah, well. And I was like, fuck, how good, how good is that? That he's, yeah. whatever we, whatever that changed in him, he, he thought it was the right time to go talk to someone and seek some answers. And I reckon that conversation that we had, I think it unlocked something in him. I think it gave him permission that he's allowed to show weakness mm. or not show weakness, sorry, show emotion yeah. that, that it's not weakness. Mm. I think, um, I think he, I think he really wanted to, I think he was at the door of like just wanting to have a chat to me about it, but he didn't like want to make the first move. And as soon as like we had a chat, all these, all the walls went down and, um, it was like a finally like yeah he felt like his shoulders dropped and he felt lighter and like me too like i i I was i was lying i was lying to mum and dad for years telling them that i was okay and i I wasn't Mm. um and i think for the very first time we both didn't lie to each other Mm. like i would ask dad about his childhood yeah and he wouldn't tell me so i think for the very first time it was such a vulnerable honest conversation with a parent too, like, I don't know how many 
people these days have a that sort of relationship with with their with their dad or i don't i've had a few mates come up to me after that podcast and say i've never talked to my dad like that (laughs) and i was like well i think it i think yeah i I didn't i didn't know that that's that it was a little bit different being having that sort of conversation with 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 your dad and i guess that being that generation too when they're a little bit older that um having that emotional chat with them maybe wasn't um as the normal as it is now So it was trying to break that stigma with dad and he, the way he talks to me now, he's like sending me kisses and like all this sort of stuff. And I'm like, I love it. I was like, yeah, this, That's giving so me good. hugs and stuff. Yeah. And I was like, oh, so it's it's definitely brought us closer together. And, you know, I don't want to say like we, you know, things like we, we could have, we should have had this chat years ago because we've had the chat now and it's great. But I don't think I was at a point um, mentally, emotionally to receive a conversation like that if we had it years ago i think i think that it happened at the right time everything happened to the right time yeah. probably similar to when you first had that podcast that made you feel like you weren't alone mm. it's probably in the similar thing when your mom was probably more open to listening to that type of content to yeah. receive it I'm like oh shit this relates to me mm. yeah. yeah big time yeah absolutely yeah yeah did your mum end up listening to the episode as well yeah how, how what was her feedback uh she she loved it she dad kept a lot of stuff from mum too even though mum was around in back in new zealand when all that stuff was happening dad still shielded her a lot from the details Mm. she knew she knew that there was abuse going on the family and she knew how bad it was but i don't think dad ever told her the details yeah so and dad's dad's really resilient and really strong but I think he didn't let mum in too much. Mm. I think he, he kept mum at a distance where he was trying to protect her. Yeah. Like, you don't want to know what's really going on. Whereas mum and women, they, they, they want to be in there with you. Nurturers. Nurturers. Yeah. So I think mum just felt distant. Mum was like, oh, I don't want to ask him because it's a very sensitive topic. Um, but I think deep down, like, I think telling her would have been the best best option but like what dad grew up he's like if i um show any emotion it's a it's a weakness like why would she want to be with me if if all this sort of stuff happened to me as a kid so mum was really she she was crying when she she gave me a call when she was crying and we had a really good chat um and she's really happy that he's finally had a chat about it and mum's been trying to like talk to him about it for years and she would really get like a stiff shoulder about it so she was like oh better not i won't push it um so I think their relationship's better, I think, that they can have a, a good, honest chat about it too and Dad can just open up to her and just know that, it, like what Dad said to me like before, the, before the episode, the night before we had the episode, how are you feeling before we, before we started? And he goes, I'm really nervous. Yeah. And I was like, oh, what's that? And he goes, oh, me and, me and your mum had a few wines last night and we had a, a good cry on the couch together. Mm. So I think it was like a good bonding experience for them and a good healing process for them definitely even though it was 65 years ago mm. it's crazy how that happened 65 years ago and the emotion and on dad's face like it happened yesterday mm. really put into spe- perspective how bad it must have been yeah and i just remember telling i just remember saying to dad like i'm so proud of him that he 
went down a different path, never drank around us. I've never seen my dad drunk. Um, didn't drink around us as a kid. Um, didn't whack us or anything and gave us a really good childhood. Mm, that's great. Yeah, and it, yeah. You, you see it a lot where you get abused and you sort of head down and you, you take your trauma out on drugs and alcohol. Mm. And some of his siblings did that. And dad went down the other route, was like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to break the cycle and I'm going to um, create a better life for me and my family. Did he open up and say why that was? Why he broke the cycle. Why he wanted to break the cycle. Dad's very stubborn. Yeah. He's seen that. He's seen firsthand what what that can do, mm. what drugs and alcohol, what abuse can do to a family. And he never wanted to be like his dad. He never wanted that for his kids. He never wanted that for his life. He, one of the things he said was that he knew that he had a lot of potential as a kid. Mm. He was very smart, very smart, very, very good at teaching himself things. Yep. Um. And he knew that all he had to do was get out of New Zealand and he'll be, he'll be sweet. Mm. And he just wanted a better life for himself and he knew that he deserved a better life. Yeah. Um, and I think that was his driving force. And, um, yeah, even, even being a dad and having – I've got two other brothers, mm. having out three, three young boys in the house and we would have, <laughs> would have caused a lot of, <laughs> a lot of stress, <laughs> would have tested his patience a lot. And he was so kind and uh, loving to us. So – yeah, I th- I said to my older brother, I was like, we're so proud of dad. Like, n- knowing what we know now and knowing what he went through and who he is in the- today. And we look back and, like, we, went, we-, we were so spoiled as kids. Mm-hmm. We're camping every weekend, every school holidays. We'll take us out very outdoorsy. And um, both mum and dad just gave us such a, good, such a good life. And I got a bit sad, like, thinking about how good he provided for us mm-hmm. and how good our childhood was. And I think about how bad it was for him. Yeah. And I just real, I, I, I don't want to feel sorry because dad never wants sympathy, but I was, I felt um, empathetic for him that he kind of lost his childhood. Mm. Um, but yeah, it was a really, really beautiful experience and he's actually retiring this year and moving back to the sunny coast. Oh, so we'll get to spend a little bit more time together. That's epic. Yeah. How do you find yourself balancing that battle with comparison? Like you said, with your childhood, you can sometimes compare to his. Mm. And like, how do you find the balance or how do you even process that? Yeah, that's funny you asked me that because I had a chat about that the other day. That um, they always say that comparing is such a bad tool to do. Like comparison is a theft of joy. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. And when someone says that, you know, when I was going through some pretty bad stuff, and I, and I think to myself, well, hang on a second, I've got it so good. Like compare myself to someone in a different country, mm. like compared to them, I'm, I'm great. But then again, am I not validating my own issues that I've got going on? Yeah. And, I would, and I did that because people were like, well, can, just imagine if you're living somewhere else and you don't even have fresh water or something. And I'm like, yeah, that's true. I've actually got, I've actually got a hot shower. I've got a bed to live in. I've got... Food in the fr- I'm like, actually, my life is so good. Yeah. Oh, so that means my depression, anxiety doesn't exist then, because mm. so it's it's hard. Like, 
it's hard when you yeah, go back to your question of comparison and finding that balance. It's like um, I try <laughs> I try to stay away from it altogether. Yeah. I try not to compare the good or the bad. I try mm-hmm. to like keep other people's experiences and even when talking about my dad's experience, I, would, I just try like I, I, I try not to compare to it too much. I, I find uh, empathy towards what he went through, but I, mm. I'll, you know, you get too you get too caught up in the what ifs, and yeah. um, I think it sends you down a, a deeper rabbit hole than you need to go down. Yeah, and like the other side of the comparison as well. I think if you compare yourself to say like people that don't even have a house, mm. but then you kind of dismiss them what you're feeling and dismissing your own experience as well. Mm-hmm. So it's just always reflecting back on yourself and just showing gratitude for where you are for yourself and what you've done yeah 100 yeah, percent. because like yeah. even for myself and my balance like sometimes i get caught up in what i'm doing now mm. that i forget where i was like six years ago when i was just you know recovering drug addict and suicidal ideation and mm. all these things and i like i forget i even experienced all that and i'm like so caught up in the moment all, all this good stuff that i'm doing i'm trying to chase me goals i'm like i'm not doing enough what is mm. all this then mm. luckily enough my partner's like just chill out <laughs> like, yeah you've, you're doing enough trust yeah. me and i'm like yeah you're right i think that's you hit a good point then it's it's not so much comparing yourself to someone else it's almost comparing yourself to what you were mm. and i think that's a the thing that i like to do is if i try to if i think i'm getting too ahead of myself mm. or comparing myself to other people's situations i try to just take a step back and go okay well what were you doing five years ago mm. what were you doing six years ago and i think I had no five years ago. I had no money. I had broken leg. Couldn't play any rugby. You know, I was single, thinking that I would never find a passion, or thinking that the only way I could be social if I took drugs and could drink alcohol. Mm. You know, and then I think about that and think about where I am now, and I'm like, oh, yeah. See, well, if I keep this momentum going, if I keep building, getting better every day, what am I going to be like in five years? Mm. And that's the, that's the goal rather than sort of comparing yourself to other people's situations. Yeah, exactly. It's just having like a vision in the future mm. of what you want to be. Chase it. But then as soon as you find yourself getting too caught up in it, yeah. just like debriefing with yourself and remind yourself. And that's why it's awesome to have good people in your circle yeah. that can help you p- like pick that out of you when mm. you're so caught in your head sometimes. Yeah, 100%. And the good people in my circle have been um, – I've been very lucky that probably 10 of my best mates – we all went to grade one together. Yeah, nice. Some of them, three of us went to preschool together. Mm. So we've known each other for 30, close to 30 years. Yeah, well. Which is pretty, like, the more older I get and the more people I meet, I think that's very special and very rare that um, our friends group has stayed friends since grade one together. Yeah. Um, so I'm very lucky in the sense that there's my, my good mates – we know each other so well. Mm. We've been with each other through the highs and lows. So, um, and they're always quick to one to say, "Pull your head in a little bit." Yeah. Or they say, "No, I don't think you're trying hard enough. Mm. I think you're holding yourself back." Yeah. And they're they're, they're great. The ones that pull you in line, but also ones that challenge you, mm. and go, "No, I reckon you've got more in you." Yeah. And their words hold so much more weight. Oh, heaps, yeah. heaps. Like, like when I did that run yesterday, I had some of my good mates were like how far are you in? I'm like 50K, I've got 20K left, I'm really struggling. Mm. And he goes, you'll be right. Yeah. You've got 20 left, you'll make it. <laughs> yeah. And as soon as I read that, I went, oh, fuck it. I, yeah, I have to make it. Yeah. Like it's almost like I have a responsibility to them as well as myself. Yeah. But when you've, got, when you've got all that support and all your best mates going, it's all right, it's pain, but you'll get through it. 
Mm. And you're like, yeah, you know what? You're right. That's, that shows the importance when we have something that's bigger than us. Yeah. Like when we don't have the energy within, we have external energy most of the time, other people yeah. that can bring that energy within us to keep going and fighting, whether it's you know doing a marathon, yeah. whether it's fighting mental health, whether it's at the gym, whatever it is, just having these other sources of energy we can always pull from to keep us going. Yeah, it's a very like, you think it's a very personal journey mm-hmm. and then when it gets hard, you realise you're not just doing this for yourself. Mm-hmm. You're doing this for your friends. You're doing it for your family. Like my process of, of recovery and and dealing with some of my issues and and letting go of drugs and alcohol and and um, forgiving myself for a few things and um, going down that journey of self-love like I used to hate myself and then I'd think like I'm a this this version of me mm. is a terrible son is a terrible friend a terrible brother like I'm no service right now like I'm all that hard work that mum and dad did to all that sacrifice and hard work they did to, to provide for us as kids, I'm wasting it. Mm. And yeah, there's a, there's, there's parts of it. Like only you can change. I understand that. Like it's up to you. you. All your friends and family can do so much for you, but you've got to make the change. But when you do make the change, it's not just for you. Mm. Like I want to have kids someday and I want, I don't want to have, <laughs> I'm trying not to have as many wounds as I can mm. when my kids arrive. Yeah. I want to I want to <clears throat> go through these battles and and build resilience and um and do all this stuff for when my kids arrive. Um I'm in a much better headspace and they can look back and go, "Oh, dad's done all this stuff." Mm. Like this is I want to be a good example. That's giving me goosebumps. Yeah. I love to hear that because like I relate with that a lot, you know, because I really want to have kids one day. Mm. And a lot of the work I'm doing for myself right now is because I know you relate with this is a lot of the work I'm doing for myself. I do it because I know if I put in the most amount of energy into myself to do good, everyone else around me is only going to receive the best version of me. Mm-hmm. That's going to be my partner, my family, my future kids and whatnot. And if I keep building on that, it's going to make me feel good in return. But then everyone around me is only going to receive that good version of 100%. me. hundred percent. It's just yeah. the start of it. It's like when you, it's like, you just got to start. Once you start, it all starts coming together and you build on it. But it's just, when you're in that deep hole, hmm. the hardest bit is just putting your hand up yeah. <laughs> and going, you know what? I need a bit of help. Mm. And once you do that, it, it snowballs and it gets bigger, bigger and easier and easier. And like you said, it affects everyone else and everyone's in on it and everyone's helping you. But it's just beginning and starting that journey is like what I found was the most difficult bit. And then as the years have gone on, like you said, it affects your family, it affects your friends. You're a better version of yourself. They get the best out of you. Mm. Um, yeah, it's great. Yeah, and that's why I think, like, especially for men to have, like, a mission in life because that's going to keep you driving as well. Yeah. And, like, did you have a moment in your life where you felt like you identified having a mission? That's a good question. Um, honestly, my – from when I was about 17, I all I wanted to do was play rugby. Mm. Um. I don't know how deep that mission, how, how, how deep you wanted to go, but all I wanted to do was play footy. Like that's, that was like, if I could play footy for a living, that would be the dream. Mm. Um, 
and I think I made that too too much of my identity mm. and I didn't have anything else going outside of rugby. So all I did was that. So, And I think I took it too, too much to my self-worth. Mm. So I lived and died by my last performance. So if I had a bad game mm-hmm. down low, I have a good game. It's like one of the <laughs> – silly, it's silly to talk about now, but like one of the greatest highs I've had is when you have a good game – Oh, sorry, you have a good game, you win, and then you're in the clubhouse afterwards on a Saturday night. Mm, like yeah. I was like, this, how good is this? Mm. Like this is the best feeling ever. But when on the flip side, when you, when you lose and have a bad game, you're like, oh, I don't want to play anymore. Yeah. And going back to your mission, it was, it was, yeah, it wasn't until I stopped playing rugby. I had some pretty bad injuries and I went through some drug and alcohol abuse I don't know if it was an addict, but it would be Friday to Monday Mm. and I would probably need it to socialise. I I would have a lot of social anxiety, so doing drugs and alcohol would be a good social thing to get me like um, less nervous and um, anxious and I guess calm and more confident to talk to people. And then all of a sudden it's four, five, six years of doing that Mm. and it got to a point where I was like in a, in a really bad hole and didn't want to be alive anymore. And to come out of that was one of the hardest things I've done. I, I talked to Jordan last night about the run and, and I said, as hard as that run was last night, mm. I, I think getting it, pulling myself, out of, pulling myself out of that hole mentally was harder than that run. Yeah. And that run was fucking hard. Yeah, no doubt. Um, but pulling myself out of that hole and and getting my life back on track and um, finding a, a will to to want to succeed in life and like trying to make a good life um, for myself. And I think once once I started that journey, I started learning about self-development and hearing other people's stories and um, listening to more podcasts, I went, like I said to you earlier, I think that was, I think that's when I f- started my finding my mission. Yeah. Was, all right, I've been through some stuff. How can I other, help other people who've been through some stuff? Mm. And, it, and not so much <coughs> coaching or mentoring. It's what I found helpful was listening to other person's stories, listening to someone's story that helped me. So I was like, well, ha- how about I can just be a storyteller? Yeah. I can just get, Guests can come on and we can just have a chat. We can tell a story. We can share each other's experiences. And I felt like that was a very purposeful thing for me to do. Mm. And I think right now that's my, that's my mission and that gets me out of bed every morning. Yeah. Um, I think that was a big one for me. It was I've done a lot of jobs and the alarm would go off in the morning and I'll just be like, fuck, like dreading it. Yeah. And now I've, now I've started this podcast, it's – I'm so passionate about it that I think about it all the time. Yeah. <laughs> and I used to be really jealous about people when I hear people's stories and they can't wait to get out of bed to go to work. And I've been so jealous of that because that's never been me. And when people say, I'd love my job, I would, you know, I would do it for free. Mm. And I'll be like, oh, fuck that. That's so good. I'm so happy for you. But I don't think I'll ever find something like that. Yeah. I honestly thought I would just go through life and not have a passion and not be pumped to get out of bed to go to work. Mm. 
And I started this podcast. It's not like it's proper work anyway, but it. I'm so pumped to get out of bed. Mm. I can't wait when I've got a when I've got a booking on and a, uh, a guest is coming in. It's the best day ever. It's like Christmas. Yeah, super hyped. Super hyped. Yeah. And excuse me. And like I said, I started I started the podcast and I sat down and I was like, well, what's my define success? Like, what's success for me? Mm. Because in the past, I never defined success. So when I was playing footy, I never defined what was enough. So I was always chasing something, thinking that it would fill a hole. Yeah. And when I stopped playing footy, because I didn't define success, I felt empty. Mm. I was like, oh, what did I actually reach? Mm. And I had to go back and go, hang on a second, you you actually did a lot more than what you think you did. So when I started this process, I was like, no, I'm going to write down, I'm going to define success for this podcast. So what do I want to do? And I think it was, um, all I wanted to do was um, impact one person. So if one person wrote back, gave me some feedback going, hey, I just listened to your your episode. Um, It's inspired me to talk to my mum about some things that I've never spoken to her about. And that was one of the that was one of the feedbacks yeah, that well. a, a girl listened to the podcast and she opened up to her mum about um, she was sexually assaulted mm. and never told her mum about it and she finally told her mum and I remember reading it going holy shit like it's powerful powerful like that one episode have just impacted her life and her relationship with her mum and I remember just going well that was I've done it like mm. I can I can whatever happens from here on out like I'm I feel like I've succeeded, yeah. And everything else has just been a blessing. Like everything else, all the feedback we've had from all the poc- uh, from all the episodes has just been amazing. And I think that's yeah, that's been my mission so far is is just continuing that. And mm. what do you think has been probably one key lesson you've learned from doing podcasting? <laughs> oh, one key lesson. Um, something that haven't been really good at is just sit and listening i oh sorry the only reason i laugh is because that was mine too was it yeah because i've realized before i did podcasting like i would unconsciously like interrupt people when i'm talking i didn't mean to do it then when i saw the podcast and i would listen back to my first couple of episodes i get annoyed with myself like stop interrupting now i realized like oh shit that's me speaking on the microphone so then i have to adapt that to life and podcasting but it's been a big blessing learning that it's funny because I did the exact same thing. I did the first episode and I kept interrupting and I'm like, Elliot, shut up. Just let him talk. And even, even in general conversations with people, like they'll be telling a story and then I'll thought of something that relates to their story and I'll just quickly jump in. And I think just doing, the, doing this podcast has trained me just to be really present in the moment and... I still have a little bit of anxiety here and there, but I'm managing it well. But it's allowed me to be really present with people's conversations mm-hmm. and not think about anything else that's going on. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's one of the big lessons is being present and and actually hearing them. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's um, the beautiful thing about podcasting. You learn so much about yourself. You learn so much about other people, but then you make an impact in the world for the people that I listen to. So it's a beautiful thing, bro. Mm. I want to go back to, before we move on, I want to go back to when you're in the cycle of drugs and alcohol mm. because the re- this hit time for me because I was a drug addict from the age of 11 to 18. I got sober at 18 and 
the challenges of getting sober and battling all the suppressed emotions then come out on top of that was like it was a process in itself it was painful it was the most difficult thing i've ever done but i want to ask for yourself in your own experience what was the deep belief or the first deep belief you had that you know you needed to change I mm, was probably when I was probably taking I probably went through seven months of going out every weekend mm. and taking drugs heavily yeah. from Thursday to Sunday. Um, and then suddenly footy wasn't a priority mm. when all I, all my job was to do right there was to play footy and it suddenly took a bats back seat to partying mm. and I started thinking, fuck, I've n- I'm not normally the one to go out and party. I, I don't mind it, but I, it's never been, I've never been this party person. I've never been the one to always, you know, let's go, let's get keen for beers. Never been like that. Yeah. And all of a sudden... I couldn't wait to go out Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Mm-hmm. And I've always been very um, good with my recovery, my training, doing, doing what I need to do to, to be at a top level playing rugby. Mm. And that took a back seat. And it really scared me. I'm thinking, well, why do I not care, care about rugby anymore? What do I all care about is going out, going out in the beers and getting on the drugs. Mm. And I was too immature. I was too complacent to really recognize that I, it was a thought but i it was too i was too immature to actually act on it and i remember um i remember my manager called me and said um there's a club over in wa that are keen to sign you yeah i went oh great mm. might, might be a good change for me to get me out of brisbane um might be good for me and then so i'm thinking and then my manager said i think it might be a a good one, a good to go. And I'm like, oh, sweet. So I started like getting my hopes up a little bit. And then he said, um, call me back a couple of days. He goes, no, nah, the coach actually doesn't like you. Mm-hmm. And that happens in rugby. Like some coaches like you, some coaches don't, but yeah. it's not, not personal. But me being in this unknown, fragile state, mm-hmm. him saying, yeah, the coach doesn't like you, but it's all good. And I'm like, what do you mean he doesn't like me? Mm-hmm. And he doesn't want to sign you. And I'm like, oh, fuck. And then, and then it was all of a sudden like, oh, well – my care factor went out the window a little bit mm. and I stopped caring about rugby and I more cared about, all right, let's, let's, let's just go party. And I remember this, this happened for a couple of years really and I remember um, I was in my apartment in Brisbane and I'd just come out, I'd just come home, it was like probably three in the morning. I had a load of drugs that night and I had a handful of drugs more and I was like, I don't want this high to leave because this high was so euphoric to me because it would it would calm everything going in my going on in my head mm. and I couldn't find that anywhere else and I wasn't but to be honest with you I wasn't searching anywhere else I was just thinking when I'm sober it would be too much noise but when I take drugs it would be all clear and I go this is the best feeling ever and I remember thinking like three in the morning like, I don't want to go sleep like I don't want to be wake up and not be have this high so I was thinking I just looked at my hand and I had a handful of drugs and I was like I've had too much but then also thinking like 
I don't want it to end, but if I have this, I think it might be harmful. Mm. And I remember thinking, oh, fuck it, if I die, I die. And I remember just like taking it. And I remember um, waking up the next morning, what I thought was the next morning, and uh, I was like pissed myself, had this huge headache, like spewed up. Lucky I like passed out face down. I had spew on my side. Thought it was, that was Friday night. I thought it was Saturday. But it was actually Sunday. Like I passed out all Saturday. I woke up Sunday morning. Yeah. Um, and even then I was like in denial. I thought there was a problem, but again, I wasn't mature enough or brave enough to actually act on it. Mm-hmm. And then that same year, I again, like, just ignored it, went to work. That same year, I decided to go down to Sydney for New Year's. Yep. Ended up being a five day bender and came back from that, didn't sleep. Didn't drink any water, um, came back from that, came back to Brisbane and couldn't go to sleep. Mm. Put my head down on the pillow, I just get shocked awake. Mm. I'm thinking, what the fuck's to go here? And I, so it was like six days of no sleep. I try, okay, I'll try the next day. Try to go to sleep that next night. Would just keep, my body would just keep shocking me awake and I couldn't, I couldn't go to sleep. And I th- it was like nine o'clock at night. I go, no, nah, this is an issue. Like this is almost seven days without any sleep. Like I can't go to sleep. I, n- I probably need to check myself into the hospital. Mm. So I went to the emergency room at the closest hospital, and I and I like I would have looked horrendous. Um, and I told the nurse that, look, I've had four or five days down in Sydney. I've come back. I can't. I can't go to sleep. My body won't let me go to sleep. Mm. So they did. Um, tell me what was in your system and stuff. And I was like, oh look. It was ecstasy and MDMA and cocaine and and they're like, oh yeah, we'll do a couple of blood tests and make sure everything's all good. And they came back like, you're severely dehydrated. Like my piss was pretty much black. Yeah. Severely dehydrated and they're like, you, you can't leave. Like, well, they sat down a carton of carton of water and put me on a drip. Like, you can't leave until all that water's gone. And I was like, oh, all right. And then the doctor came in and was like, do you want to know what was in your system? And he was trying to be a father role a little bit. And I was like, not really. And he goes, no, I'm going to tell you what's in your system. And I was like, yeah, righto. And he told me it was in my system and it was everything that I mentioned. And he, got, and he said some long word and I was like, well, what's that? And he said it was ice. Mm. So that was one of the reasons I couldn't sleep. And I was just like, what the fuck? Like, I'm not, I'm not, and I'm not an addict. Like, I don't have a, I don't have a problem. And then I'm, th- I'm sitting there and I'm like, maybe I fucking do have a problem. Like, what am I, what am I doing here? And mm. he went, he, he walked off and. I ended up um, calling my parents and um, told them I was in hospital and um, pretending like everything was okay and I could hear in their voices. They knew that it wasn't okay. And, and again, didn't, didn't, didn't tell them, wasn't honest with them. And uh, I got off the phone with them and they, I remember them just saying, look after yourself, we love you. And I got off the phone with them and I just laid in the hospital bed and I just thought to myself, the fuck am I doing with my life? Mm. Like, like I said to you before, like they, they worked so hard to raise three boys. Not like we weren't wealthy. We weren't well off. Like they we were just scraping by growing up and they provided so much for us and they were such good parents. And what was I doing to repay them? Mm. I was just 
burning myself into the ground for, for what for what because I was too too afraid to voice my emotions yeah. too, too afraid to put my hand up and go hey look I'm actually struggling I don't know what I need to do but I'm just saying you know like I was too afraid and that fear thing was just like ruling me I was like why am I too afraid to do this like why am I too afraid to seek help and and my is it going to get to the point where it costs my life because I'm too afraid to ask for help or too afraid to reach out and I remember seeing in the hospital bed and people go through I don't know what your experience is like with drugs and stuff like that but I know some people will go to rehab and for me sitting on that hospital bed it was like a flicker switch mm. I remember sitting there and like someone just flicked a switch in me and I was just like all right I know what I need to do you know, I stopped drinking, stopped drugs, moved back to the sunny coast, um, quit my job, moved back to the sunny coast, picked up a job yeah. and was like, start fresh. All right, remove myself from that environment. Um, go back to surrounding myself with, with my best mates, people that I know. All right, let's start, start fresh. Um, and then I went and saw a psychologist for the first time mm. and was like, I need a, I don't know, what you're going to be able to do for me, but I think I need to talk to someone. And it was a, it was a, it was a really good experience with, with her because she um, barely said anything to me. She just said, what's up? And I'd tell her the story and then she would go and I'd stop and she will go, what else? And I'd go, um, what else? And then I'd tell her some more and it was – it was three sessions of me word vomiting mm-hmm. and just telling her everything that was on my mind. And I think it was just the fact of just voicing it and her just saying, it's all right. Mm-hmm. And it was the best thing for me was seeing someone that I didn't know because some of the th- thoughts that were going in my head was I didn't want to talk to anyone that I knew because the, my thoughts that were going through in my head was very horrific and very traumatic and I knew if I talked to someone that I knew they would feel sorry for me and I don't blame them for, for, for feel sorry for me because if, if they love you they're going to feel sorry if you want to kill yourself mm. but I never wanted anyone to treat me any differently I didn't want anyone to be oh that's Elliot he's going through some shit like don't don't talk to him or stay away I never wanted to be treated differently like don't treat me any differently so I was like I, instead of talking to someone that I knew how about I go to someone that I don't know so they have no connection, love connection or anything like that towards me. They can just treat me like a client yeah. and go, yeah, you're all good. And I go, oh, because I know they're not going to go home and um, worry about Elliot. And that's why I never wanted anyone to worry about me. Yeah, like checking up on you all the time yeah, and stuff yeah, like that. I, did, I yeah. was like, no, don't treat me differently. Like just be there. And, and it's and like it's not saying my mates were in the wrong or anything like that, but I just didn't want any special treatment. I knew – my mates would give me that or my family would give me that. And my mum sort of does that now. She always checks up on me. I'm like, mum, I'm good. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, that was, that was the moment, I think, that I back, – head, heading back to your question was that moment in hospital bed was, was the moment that I realised that, um, yeah, I needed change and I wasn't heading down a road that was um, – yeah, going to be good for me at all. Mm. An important thing you touched on then, I think a lot of people will relate to this, is when you said you didn't want to open up to the people around you because you don't want anyone feeling sorry for yourself. Mm. I know I've experienced that. I know a lot of people here listening will experience that in their life as well. But to still go out and seek support that you can speak to someone, like a psychologist who doesn't know you, I think that's such an important message because I think 
too too many people can get too caught up in their own world that they don't see that there is external support. Mm. So like if you're someone listening and you relate to what Elliot was just saying, like go and see a psychologist, go speak to someone like a coach or a mentor or anyone in that realm that you can just unload your stuff onto and they can guide you and support you through that. Mm. And that way you don't have to stress about family and friends worrying about you as well because that could just be another layer of added stress and issues to what you're already going through. Yeah, 100%. And, and, and we're all different too. Like I've got a mate who's been on the podcast and we share similar um, feelings towards that with our um, similar experiences and and. What I said to him was, yeah, that was the best thing was going to see someone else and not seeing my f- friends or family because I knew they would treat me differently. And he said to me, well, the best thing for him was seeing his mum. Mm-hmm. So I was like, oh, well, well like that was, I, d- I didn't want to think about se- talking to my mum about it. And he was yeah. like, the best thing was, was talking to my mum. So mm-hmm. I think everyone's experiences are so different. Um, but that's the, such a good thing is that if you haven't, if you don't feel comfortable talking to your friends or your family, if you don't want to think you're going to feel um treated differently that there's so many different avenues to go down like seeing a psychologist is so daunting at the start yeah it is but i want people to understand that it's it's such a safe space and it was honestly the best thing i could have done at that time i unloaded for three sessions i think i think it went for about an hour and i talked for the whole hour and just she just sat there Mm. and (laughs) just listened to me word vomit for yeah, for an hour, for three sessions. And um, it was it was one of the best feelings because I walked away like the weight of the world was off my chest. Like I could finally have a deep breath and was like, oh, like I felt really tight. Like for years I just felt really tight in my gut, just having all this anxiety mm-hmm. and pressure and in my gut thinking I'm the only one, no one will ever understand me. And then when I went and saw a psychologist and she remember her telling me, you're not the first one to tell me this. And I thought it was so individual. I thought what I was feeling was so individual and so personalized that no one else has ever been through this stuff. Like how arrogant of me. And for her to say, yeah, I've had heaps of people t- tell me the exact same thing. Yeah. You know, and it made me, made me feel so much better knowing that I'm not the only one. Mm. And there's, light at the end of the tunnel i think that's a huge message for people that are listening is that it doesn't matter how deep you are in that tunnel mm. there is always light always always light and i for a couple of years there i i really thought there wasn't and i had a someone say to me i was in new zealand his name's Jono. he might be listening i remember going to him and i was really really in a deep dark place and i i said to him i don't think I don't, I don't think I'm ever going to come out of it. I think this is going to be my life forever. And he had a little smirk. And I was like, well, that's not, that wasn't funny. Why are you, why are you smirking for? And he, he said, you'll get out of it. Mm. And I go, how do you know? He goes, he goes, mate, it might take you two years. It might take you 10 years. It might take you 20 years. But I'm telling you, you'll get out of it. Mm. And I remember 10 years after him saying that to me, I remember being in the car and I don't know why I remembered it, but it was 10 years after he told me and I remember being in the car and thinking, holy fuck, I actually feel, I actually feel really good with my life. Everything I felt, I feel like I've got a purpose and I feel like 
um, I'm striving for something and I feel like I want to be around and I've got aspirations for a family and finding love and, and um, having kids and stuff. And I sent him a message. And I was like, listen, we haven't spoken in a while, but remember when you said to me that there'll be light at the end of the tunnel and I didn't believe you? And he goes, yeah. I, go, I just want to let you know that I'm at the end of the tunnel and there's light. Mm. And he goes, I told you. Yeah. And I try to tell people that. I try to tell friends that are going through some stuff that they think that they're there's going to be no end and that's going to be their life forever. And I try to get through to people that there's always light. Mm. You just got to hang on and do the work and trust the process. And there's always light. Yeah. You just got to keep hope, mm. you know, like you, sometimes you can get too caught up and trying to do too much at once. It doesn't work. And then you're like, what's the point? Mm. But it's like a slow burn. You know, like you said, it can take two years. It can take five years. It can take 10 years, but it's just staying on that path of going forward. And eventually you'll see the light or you'll reach the destination <clears throat> or whatever it is. Cause one thing I say to people, like if they're in a dark spot, I say 1% every day. doesn't sound like mm. much. Like you could move your toe one inch every day forward. Mm. But by the end of the calendar year, that's 365% further than where you were when you started. It's like, cool. Well, if you have two months off in that calendar year, you're still ahead 305%. Mm. Worst case scenario. Yeah. Like you're still ahead and it's, just keep on that path. And that's a good analogy that I've used um, when I did the run yesterday. Yeah. Was people, how did you do that? And I go... I, I looked at the furthest light pole and I ran to that light pole. And then I saw the next light pole and I ran to that light pole. Mm. I didn't look at the maps. I didn't see how far I was away from Noosa. I just, look, I just saw a street. And I, go, I picked that light pole out and I just, I'll just run to that. And I run to it and I'll go, oh, was good. And I go, where's the next one? And I run to that. And it was, just, it was just like, it's good to have a goal, something to strive for, but don't keep looking at it and... and, and and watching and trying to expect it to happen overnight. Mm. And it was just like one step in front of the other. And, and it's a good analogy to use. Like I think it's just head down and one foot in front of the other. And um, in the long run, you'll get there. Mm. But I think we get, sometimes we get caught up that we don't see process straight away. We don't see progress straight away. Mm. And then we lose a bit of faith or lose a bit of hope. Yeah, And it, it, it comes down to, like you said, just – find that little bit, find that light pole in front of you and run to that, run to that spot. Mm. Um, and that's what I've, that's what I learned, that's what I learned on that bloody, on that run yesterday was just, there's a lot of self-doubt coming to it. Mm. And a lot of times where I, cause I know the road, so I know what's coming up. So yeah. I, I know what, what's around each bend. Yeah. <laughs> so it's it wasn't, already, yeah. <laughs> so I knew the route. So it wasn't like this was like, I don't know what's coming around the corner. Like I knew how far I was away from each destination, each checkpoint. So it wasn't, I was like, oh, fuck, I didn't need to look at a map because I know, I know what, where I need yeah. to run. Just for context of the audience, you ran a hundred Ks yesterday, was it? Yeah, it was yeah. seventy. It was just under oh. seventy. Uh, seventy k's yesterday. Seventy k's. Yeah, yeah, seventy k's yesterday from my from my house in Maroochydore up to Noosa is thirty five, and then um, had a little break in Noosa and then thirty five k's back um, to my house in Maroochydore and um, I did it with no training. Um, I hate running. I did it. Um, the most I've run was about two and a half k prior to this, um, and I got up. Sunday morning at four, thir- uh, 4 o'clock in the morning and put my runners on and decided to head up to Noosa. Why? Um, yeah, really, really good question. <laughs> really good question. I was asking myself that question <laughs> yesterday. <laughs> I can imagine. There's, diff- there's a lot of levels to it. 
but mm. to put it simply to begin with, I did it to see if I could do it. Mm. And I, I think I'm a very stubborn person. I'm a very, I think my family might agree, I'm a very hard person to, to give advice to mm. in the sense that I want to find out for myself. Yeah. I, if I'm going to make mistakes, I want them to be my mistakes. I don't want to make mistakes because you told me I should do this. Mm. And I think my parents, <laughs> I think I caused my parents a lot of hardship, me, them telling me I shouldn't do something <laughs> and then me going and doing it and learning it. Yeah. But I think that's, that's who, who I've been growing up is that let me experience it. Even though you had, a, even though that went happened for you, it might not be happened for me. So I, I've always been the the person that let me let me figure it out. Yeah, I want to go try it for myself and have my own experiences with it. That's probably a little bit of it. And then um, what we talked about earlier is that I have a trigger that I hate it when people tell me I can't do something, mm. and it's never been like. A direct you can't do this it's always been like a sly little comment a little sarcastic comment like i bet you can't do this and and i think it um i think i have so much self-doubt i think as a kid growing up i believed i didn't have much resilience i believe that i was a huge quitter mm-hmm. i would um, run away from any hard roads that would take and to be honest with you the right way is always probably the hard road mm. and the easy way is probably the wrong road. Yeah. You know, the easy way out is always probably the thing you shouldn't be doing. It's like do what's right, not what's easy. Yeah, correct. Mm. Yeah. So as a kid, I I don't think I had much ticker about me. I think I always chose the easy road. I, th- I reckon as a kid, I always was a quitter. I always run from my issues. I always procrastinated on things and I always um, was really – um, I got lazy and complacent and um, yeah, it's like when people give you that insult, it hurts the most when you know it's, when you think it's true. Mm. And I had a, I, it wasn't so much proven to other people, but it proven to myself that I wasn't weak minded. Why do you feel like you had to prove that to yourself? Because I thought I was, mm. even though all the things that I've been through, I think that to do something like that with no training and just to get out there and was just to prove myself that I can put myself through all that hardship and all that pain and keep going. Mm. Because even playing footy, you can work your ass off, but you're in a team. Mm. So if you're feeling a bit tired, yeah. you've got a teammate there with you. And, but when you're out in that road, if you stop because you need a break, that's fine, but no one's going to come and help you. You're not getting any closer. Mm. And I remember every time my legs were up, my legs were getting shaky, they weren't moving, my hips were stiffening up, and I would have to have a break. And I was sitting there and I was talking to myself because you're alone, you start having conversations with yourself. Mm. And I remember sitting down there, <laughs> it, was so, it was so long to go. And I remember just chatting myself going, yeah, you can have a break, but you still got to get up and run. And I go, yeah, I know, shut up. Like, just let me have a break. And, and then another voice would go, yeah, have a break as long as you want, yeah. but you still got to get there. Yeah. And it was overcoming, it was that whole thing of overcoming self-doubt. It was, 
it was proving to myself that I, you know what, I, I'm so much capable of so much more than I think I am. Mm. And a lot of us think that we're at a limit where we can't give any more. But beyond that, you can give so much more. Yeah. And I reckon I, for me to feel, this might seem a bit sadistic, yeah. but for me to feel alive, like truly alive, I need to experience all emotions. Mm. I know that seems silly, but when it's joy and happiness and ecstasy, it's like I'm on a high, like I feel alive. But there's a part of me that I need to feel pain I know that's silly. No, it's not because it's like if we don't feel pain, how do we know how good good is? Yeah. You know? And I wanted to put myself through something that was so painful that it would make me feel alive. Mm. And I thought there's no better way than and like that was that was ten percent physical and ninety percent mental, that whole that whole battle. Like there were so many situations where my inner what I call it, my inner demons came out. So self-doubt, feeling like I'm not good enough. Um, that little quitter that I was telling you about when I was a kid, like I was just an absolute quitter. Like I would quit on everything. Like I, I'd probably, I'd not probably, I definitely, pro- I definitely lost relationships, mm. um, friendships because I was too immature. I was too much of a quitter. I didn't want to go through any hard work. I feared hardship. I feared pain. Yeah. Um, so it comes a point where I, I just had enough and I was like, you know what? Like I need to do this mentally. And there were so many inner demons that came up. Like so many times I wanted to quit and so many times like self-doubt, you're not good enough. Everyone was right. Just like everyone was right about you. Like, even though people might not be thinking that, mm. it was a tool I used and was like, you know what, everyone thinks you're a fucking quitter anyway. And I, and I said, oh, well, I'm not a quitter. Like, I would just use it as, as fire, as motivation um, to get through it. Yeah. I mean, it's not weird. I think it's completely great because when you said you need to experience all emotions in life because we have to get comfortable with the pain in life because if we don't, experience the hardship um we don't get comfortable with it that's when we start doing things that will suppress us you know like mm. getting back into the partying scene and drugs and alcohols and sex porn like whatever it is that people use to suppress themselves but once you do something intentionally to put yourself through hardship like going for a run and feeling every emotion you're comfortable with that and that's where you learn the most about yourself in those moments because you have deep beliefs come up that you probably didn't even know you still had attached to yeah yeah absolutely yeah absolutely and i it was it was yeah it was so much of just proving to myself that that i can i'm so much more capable and i think a lot of my life even when i was playing rugby i would sell myself short i wouldn't i was too afraid it's like i don't know if we've spoken about it but it was almost when I was playing rugby, it wasn't a fear of a fear of failure. Mm. It was a fear of success. I feared my own potential. I feared, what if I actually tried? Mm. What can I accomplish? And it was almost like well, no one expects you to succeed. And everyone expects you, like when you're going through something like this, or if you're trying to play footy and be professional, everyone's like, well, it's okay if you fail. Like, 
not many people make it, so it's okay if you fail. No one expects you to succeed. Yeah. And even this, like, my mate was like, you're doing a what this morning? Mm. And I'm like, run, run 70Ks. And he's like, you haven't even run 2Ks. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, what makes you think you can do it? And I go, why can't I do it? Mm. You know, everyone expects you to fail. So it was like my, my fear of, I feared my own potential. I, I feared what am I capable of and what can I achieve? And part of it was thinking, all right, I hate running. I hate it. I'm going to go do something that I hate mm. and still accomplish it. Still show up. Still show yeah. up. I'm going to put myself through all this fucking pain and misery and I can't even walk today over something that I hate. Imagine what I can do when it's something that I love. Mm. Facts. And if I can do all that and I hated it and I did 14 hours of running and I absolutely did not enjoy one mm. bit of it, Imagine what I can do when I'm actually passionate about something. Mm. And that goes back to this, to the podcast that I'm doing. I'm like, man, I, as much as I thought I was giving it all, I can give so much more. Yeah. There's always more in the tank. Always. That's the thing as yeah. well. And that's it's such a cool thing that you've experienced and had a realization of because like a lot of people work jobs they hate. They mm. show up for 50 hours a week, 40 hours a week for something they hate to do. It's like, can you imagine if you go on the journey of finding what lights you up and your passion and you have 50 hours a week of energy to put towards that? Mm-hmm. Can you imagine how much growth is going to happen in your life and 100%. how much you'll learn as well? So yeah. that's a really cool <laughs> fucking reflection. <laughs> yeah, yeah I, honestly, I didn't think it was going to get that deep. Yeah. No, I don't know if it was me not being a runner and not realizing <laughs> how far that is. Because yeah. <laughs> all my runner mates were like, what? Yeah. <laughs> Um, I can imagine because I think my longest run personally would be about 10Ks. Yeah. That's the furthest I've ran. And even then I can imagine yeah. what the extent of the force I will come up for me would be if I did 70. Yeah, and it, it was a lot more uh, – you know, I mentioned that it was 90% mental, but I, I had to deal with a lot of demons that came up and um, I didn't expect that to be that case. I thought it was just going to be your body's going to be sore. Your, your back's going to go, your hammy might get a bit of a, a cramp, yeah. Yeah. your calves going to be sore. But it, was, it wasn't the physical side of it. Mm. I mean, I, I could block out, I started to block out the pain yeah. and realise that it's going to be over. But the, the mental challenge that it was is something that's going to be with me forever, I think. Mm. Um, the places I had to go and the, the conversations I had with myself it was almost like a healing process. It was, it was almost um, like a like a meditation session where where you're answering questions and you're you're getting into like this deep deep zone, and it was um, no one else was around and no one else was going to come help you, and you had to figure it out on your own. Mm, it's like going to war of your own mind. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It really was. It really was, and it was. Um, I've never felt anything. <laughs> I've never felt anything like that before. Mm. Um, and looking back on it today, I think it's 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 strange. It's probably the um, the best thing I've done for my mental health mm. in, in a crazy way. Yeah, in a crazy crazy way, I think it's probably the best um, thing I've done for my own mental health. Mm. Yeah. I, I agree for myself. Like, yeah. I think it's so important for people to seek challenges. Mm. Like, whatever extent they want to seek challenges, mm. whatever they see their limit to be, 
but seek things that are going to push you out of your comfort zone and that yeah. will challenge you because one, you're going to learn so much about yourself and two, you're going to realise how much more you want to keep doing it mm. because of the benefits you get like the day after of like the feeling of accomplishment, the amount of dopamine you get because the reward of actually doing something so fucking epic. Like there's so much benefit from actually stepping outside that comfort zone and just giving things a crack. Yeah, 100%. And it's, it, that's the point. It's, I don't feel like I'm growing. Mm. I don't feel like I'm progressing in life unless I'm getting outside my comfort zone. Yeah. I feel like starting the podcast was getting outside my comfort zone. Mm. That was big for me. And then I suddenly became a little bit complacent, mm. a little bit um, getting settled in the podcast and going, okay, this is kind of like, this is nice. This is a nice little comfy zone. I, yeah. I kind of like this. And then me thinking, nah, like I, I, I think I'm stagnant a little bit. Mm. Like what's the next thing? Like, what's the next thing that I need to do? What are some inner things that I need to deal with? And I think going through going through physical and mental pain was something that I needed to prove to myself that I could do mm. and also silence any critics or even inner critics or any doubts that I had about my own strength. Physical strength, not so much, but my mental strength, I was like, what am I capable of? What can I achieve? Mm. And my girlfriend was driving out and saying, you, you should drive out and check off with me. You good? Yeah. I'm like, I'm, I'm good. I'm just letting you know I need to do this. Mm. Like, I, you probably don't get it. I'll explain to you when I get home <laughs> later tonight. But, I, but it's something that I need to do. Mm. Um, yeah, because I feel like if we're not fighting a battle externally if we're not fighting something that when i say fighting and battle and stuff i mean like seeking uncomfortable situations or doing things that cause hardship to make us grow mm. if we don't seek that i feel like then the battle becomes within and we have fights of ourselves, and then yeah. our brain gets in war with who yeah. we are and what we are but instead if we use that battle on the outside i feel like it gets away the battles we have within makes it easier yeah you're training your brain like if you it's it's you got to it's chosen suffering because mm. you're going to have life. You're going to go through life when there's going to be a lot of unchosen suffering. Yeah. You know, you're going to get sick or your parents are going to pass away or, you know, someone's going to get injured and there's a lot of unchosen suffering in life. Mm. And I think the best way to deal with that is chosen suffering, Yeah, you know, in a, in a weird way. I think the more hardship you put yourself through, physical, mental, mm. the, the more resilience you get from it. And you're just training yourself to deal with when that unchosen suffering comes. Mm. And I've taken so much out of that, that 12 hours yesterday, 14 hours yesterday, I've gotten more out of that than I have in my entire life mm. of who I am and what I can do. Yeah. And now it's, it's silly. Like now I look at, it's silly because it's, it's a 70K run and I'm sure listeners have probably done 70K runs easily. Yeah. But now I look at situations differently now, mm. hardships differently or problems that come up in my life. Yeah. I think of them differently now. I, I don't get too um, bogged down in them Would too you much. So you're more responsive? Yeah. yeah. Than reactive? Yeah. Yeah, big time. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, I'm more calmer and patient and like... Mm. Um, we had some stuff like happen today and um, normally I would like what the fuck's going on here and then today I was like it might be because I can't move but today I was like yeah it's fine mm. it's all good 
I'm not as bad as that run yesterday, so it's sweet. <laughs> like, yeah. You know, it's, 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 I think it's given me a different perspective on a lot of things. And I'll tell you, I'll tell you a quick story too. Because yeah. I, I perspective is something that I really wanted to have a chat about. Mm. And one of the things that really helped me on this run when I was in a really dark, really dark place and my body was full of pain, there's a guy that I used to go to the gym with. Yep. The guy that used to go to the sorry, I don't even go with him. He was just there when I was there. We weren't friends or anything. And he he was uh, had his uh, legs amputated from the knees the knees down, and he was in an electric wheelchair and he had his arm uh, amputated from the elbow down. Yep. And his left arm was there, but it was very like poor movement and he had a little he's an electric chair and he had a little uh, finger where he could sort of control the electric chair and he had a carer with him and he would come into the gym and he had little attachments where he could do a row mm. or a lat pull down or do like bicep curls yeah and he would always come in at the end of my workout and at the end of my workout I'm fucked I got no energy left and I'm like I can't do anymore so tired even though i got a couple of exercises left I, I can't do any more and he would walk in the door and i'll go oh fuck he's here now i have to do it like yeah. every time i saw him i was like if i can do it if sorry if he can come to the gym i can do this last couple of sets mm. you know and he'll come in every day and do a workout with a carer with his own little attachments mm. and do a, and pump out a workout for 45 minutes and i remember chatting to one of the guys at the gym and i go fuck what a legend like He's yeah. coming in every single day and despite what's going on, and he goes, do you, do you know what happened to him? I go, I go, nah, what happened to him? Mm. And he was um, in a car with his wife and his young daughter in the back and a drunk driver came and um, crashed into the car and killed his daughter, his, his wife who was pregnant. Wow. And um, she died in, later in hospital, daughter died on the scene and he got rushed to the hospital and obviously survived but lost his ability to move from the waist down lost his whole family and he's coming into the gym every single day and doing a workout Mm. and that changed my whole perspective like from that moment two years ago when i saw that heard that story it's changed my whole perspective on life like whenever i feel like it's hard i look i think about him and i go it's not fucking hard no, and I thought about him yesterday on that run when I was like, "Fuck, my legs are sore." Yeah, and I thought about him. I go, "Fuck, he would he would kill to be in my position right now." Mm. And that was like one of my huge motivators was getting through it. I, every time I feel like it was hard, I'd think about him and I go, "It's not hard. What he yeah. went through is hard. I'm going to keep going." Shout out to that guy for still showing up. Yeah, you know, <laughs> going to the gym and still getting after it, even though. Significant trauma he's experienced, but mm. still showing up. Mm. Yeah, he he doesn't. Um, I haven't seen him in the gym lately. I think he's gone to a different gym. But um, yeah, even that that memory of him coming into the gym, and I never I never spoken to him. I should have I should have fucking just reached out to him and said what a huge inspiration he is. But um, his his memory will always be with me of him going to the going to the gym and doing a workout, then hearing his story. He's lost his whole family. His whole life has changed forever and he shows up to the gym every day and does a workout. Yeah. And I think, fuck, when I'm tired and I can't be bothered doing a workout, 
Mm. Okay, what's my excuse? Yeah, and I think that energy and that mindset is good because sometimes we have to process emotions, but sometimes we're just feeling sorry for ourselves and we have to get out of that mindset. Mm. You know, it's nothing but feeling sorry for ourselves and trying to play a victim. Mm. And once we have reminders like that or situations we can reflect back on, mm. it's like, nah, I need to switch back into focus mode and either go. Mm. Like I think having moments and things we can reflect on is so important. Yeah, so important. And I think what you touched on just then was the victim. Like I played yeah. that victim role. Yeah. Big time. I, I, I latched onto the role that, you know, there's something wrong with me. You guys would never understand. Like I'm, I'm the victim here. Mm. And... I played that role to the point where I was just like, hang on, hang on a second, mate. Like, yeah, you got, it was a point of me. It was almost a point of me like growing up mm. and I acted like a kid and just played this victim role thinking that no one understand. It's something I could, it was like a get out of jail free card. Yeah. You know, like, yeah. like that's an excuse. Mm. And it's just like, no, no, no. Like life, as hard as it is, life goes on. Yeah. And you got to, you got to accept what's happened has happened and you can't get caught up in it and you just got to accept how it's happened, why it's happened and know that it's all, all that matters is that it's happened. Mm. And, and that's what's been huge for me is like getting outside of like making excuses and playing the blame game. Yeah. You know, uh, there's, I used to where like when, when situations in rugby, when that coach didn't, oh, if I fucking, if that coach liked me, I would have been somewhere else. And it's like, oh, stop making excuses. Like, yeah. I'm in control. <laughs> like, it wasn't him who made me take drugs. Yeah. Or get on that alcohol bender or anything like that. It wasn't his fault. That was, that was my decision. All a choice. All the, it's all a choice. Yeah. Yeah, 100%. It goes back to that. You got to do what's right and not what's easy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's that, it's that, it's the right road. And it's always, and nine times out of 10, the right road's the hard road. Mm. Um, but it's, I think, like you say, you go back on, you do, you put yourself through some hardships yeah. and the right way, the right way, mm. even though it's the hard, it'll get easier as you go on. It won't be as so hard the first time. Mm. That's like even going to the gym. Like most of the time I like, so try go, I do go gym um, regularly, but most of the time I'm not keen because like I have a big day. I'm like, fuck, I go to the gym. I'm like, I just gotta go anyway and do it. But once I get in there and get in the, you know, in yeah. the momentum of yeah, it, yeah. I'm like, thank fuck, I'm here. Yeah, like, well, I have that same feeling. Yeah. I've never ever left the gym and been like, I wish I didn't come. <laughs> neither, yeah. neither. Every time I leave a gym, every time I've I've left a workout, I've gone, thank God, I've mm. I've done that. I feel so much better. Yeah, and it's just getting, yeah, I do the same thing of it. I've got that image of that guy coming to the gym, and that is burnt in my head. So any time that I feel like I don't want to go for a workout or go do anything, I just think of that guy and go, nah, like he would kill to be in my position. I'm, I'm going. Yeah, go get after it. Yeah, he's my motivation. Um, if he's listening, you're a legend. Yeah, <laughs> shout out. <laughs> yeah, shout out to him. Um, but yeah, that's that's one of my motivations is 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 just having that perspective on life. Mm. Yeah, yeah, that's great, brother. And before we finish up here i would like to ask you about like what is a message you'd like to leave here with the listeners probably that message that we spoke about that really impacted me was there's always light at the end of the tunnel mm. i think that um when you're in that dark place wherever that place might be whatever you're going through at the time Trust me, I know it feels like you're not going to get out of it or you feel like there's no other way or you just accept that this is going to be your life or your reality. And I, 
I want you to know that there's there's always another option. There's always ways out. You may not think there is or you may think that there's um, nothing can be done or no one can help you or you feel like you're alone. And I want people listening to know that you're loved, you're not alone and if you put in that hard work that we spoke about today, if, if you really seek, um, seek help and put yourself through that hardship and, and be comfortable with being, being afraid, like going to seek help, um, put, get yourself out of bad situations and just having that thought that there's, you might be in the middle of the tunnel and you might not be able to see any light, but if you keep one foot in front of the other and keep moving forward, there's always light in the tunnel. And that was a huge bit of advice someone gave me. And, you know, and I kind of laughed at him when he told me because I just, I was this young 20 year old kid thinking, you know, what do you know? You're not me. But I've been through it. And, and that's a huge bit of advice that I could pass on to someone is that you just keep putting the work in mm. and there's always light at the end of the tunnel. Beautiful message, brother. Mm. Mm. Thank you very much. And um, for like people want to connect with yourself, where can they find the podcast and anything else that you have to offer? Yeah, so the podcast is called Mind Your Head Podcast. Um, we've got that on um, Instagram, uh, YouTube. Um, head over there. I think they'll be, might be in the show notes. Yeah, it'll be in the bio. In the yeah. bio, yeah. So um, yeah, we're doing we're doing great things. I think that we've got a, um, some amazing guests that have come in and shared some pretty traumatic stories um but there's a lot of learnings out of it um there's a lot of growth um and it's just about it's a it's the show the podcast is about getting people comfortable with having uncomfortable conversations Mm -hmm. and being okay that it's okay to be vulnerable and i think it's such a good place to heal is when you just be open and vulnerable with someone and creating a a safe space for people to do that and I don't want anyone else to go through a situation where they don't feel like they're they can talk to their mum and dad about something mm. like I'm so much more open to my mum and dad now that I've shared all my deepest darkest things that have happened to me and and they'd be so accepting and made me feel so safe that all our conversations from now on mm. has been so good yeah so I don't want anyone else to feel that they're alone and and sometimes when you're in a headspace, you feel like you're alone and not, not you know, your, your situation so individual and really like there's a lot of people that have been through some similar things that we all can learn and share from. And um, so that's a big, that's a big aim for mine. And, and I've realized that as the podcasts have gone on, people, I encourage so much, so much feedback. I want to hear from people and um, it's amazing the stories that are coming out of it. Yeah. And the more I've realized like, holy shit, like, Something that I thought was such a small group is just it's massive. I'm getting messages from people in Canada and America and um, in India and um, Ireland and all across the world sending me messages and their stories of their childhoods and things that they've gone through. And I'm thinking, fuck, the reach on this is ridiculous. But it's it's that connection of um, that connection of people is just is is amazing. And we all think like we all have different experiences, and we do. We all have different experiences, but at the same time they're, they're so similar too mm. and everyone's got their own story and um it's just encouraging people to be okay like especially men like i know women they're quite more open than yeah. than men um 
and it's just getting a lot of my friends, a lot of my friends group have been a bit um, quiet in terms of asking um, real podcast questions. And I think one of the best things was with me, my friends and my dad was when you get them on a podcast because when you're having a beer with them or you're having to sit down watching the footy, you don't ask them detailed questions. Mm. You say, how was your day? You talk about a few things. But I think, I think um, a great tip for anyone listening is if you really want to have a sit down with your mate or a family member, plan it like a podcast. Mm. Even if you're not filming it or whatever, just sit down and actually ask, write down some questions and ask some serious, deep questions. And it will be such a good bonding session. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, that's been... You never amazing. know. You might be saving a life by doing that as well. Yeah, you never know. Like, I'll, it all stemmed from that one podcast that I listened to and it affected me so much. And all I, do, all I want to do is pass that on. Mm. And if I could help someone, if that's saving their life, if it's them asking for help, um, I'm happy to I'm happy to do that, and it's something that I'm massively passionate about. Beautiful, bro. I'm definitely going to check out the episode you did with your dad. That's my next on my list now to listen to on podcast. Listen to it, Brent Hagen, um, yeah. and give me yeah, give me some of your feedback. I love yeah. to hear it. I'm looking forward to it. And everyone, please check out Mind Your Head podcast. It's amazing. But thanks, bro. Thanks very much. <laughs> thanks for having me.